Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. We have news for you all. Yeah, we are so excited to share that as so many of you have asked for us to host more than just one week-long immersive experience, we are bringing another retreat into the fold this year, and this time we're headed to Nosara, Costa Rica, June 3rd through 10th, yeah? We heard you. We heard you. We're doing more. We're trying. <laughs> this time, though, we're actually bringing in two of our dear friends and colleagues to come along with us and join the party. So we're going to have Ashley Torrent and Millie Murillo there. Um, and honestly, the four of us together, I don't know, our powers mm-hmm. combined, drawing from our collective work in the healing modalities of psychotherapy, coaching, mediumship, astrology, somatic movement, group processing, all the things. We'll be supporting you all in reclaiming every aspect of the most fulfilling life you can possibly live. It's going to be such a transformational week. I'm so excited already. And if you are interested in learning more, you can go to the link in either of our social bios or head over to Vanessa's website at vanessabennett.com. And we have payment plans available for this one as well. Yeah, definitely hit me up on email if you want to know more about that. We are super excited and we hope to see you all there. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. We're doing another Q&A conversation for y'all today. We're really liking doing these, and it seems like you all are too. So we're going to do our best to keep bringing them to you on Fridays as kind of like our bonus episode. So are you ready, Janae? I'm ready. Lay it on me. Okay. Hi, Vanessa. Thank you for posting the informational videos. I enjoy watching them. I have been wondering, why is it such a bad thing to want your partner to need you 
and not just choose you. Thank you. <laughs> Such a visceral reaction to that one. Why? Because um, you're an avoidant. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what just happened in my body? I was like, whoa, I'm sweating. I'm, I'm out. <laughs> you handle this. <laughs> Y'all, you got two avoidant therapists here. We're like, nah, we're good. Yeah, no. you, you don't get to need. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. Um, All jokes aside. Total jokes aside. That's no. Okay, so let's unpack this a little bit. Um, and, you know, I just want to name first off that I think that there's so much deprogramming that goes into the idea that our partner um, shouldn't need us, right? I think if, God, the romantic comedies, if you watch them, I think sometimes we watch them now and we cringe a little bit the extent to which they're like, I need you, you know, you complete me. You're my other half. (laughs) All of the things that as therapists and certainly as couples therapists, we have seen lead to a lot of challenges later on relationally. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know. I'm kind of curious to hear your gut reaction as you read that question. So what's interesting about this is that I've been grappling with this idea of needing versus wanting. I'll mm-hmm. say wanting because that's kind of the language I've used versus choosing. Mm-hmm. I would say pretty much my entire adult life. So I've had so many conversations around this. I've had this conversation with my ex. I had this conversation with John, like right in the beginning of our relationship where him and I kind of almost argued about the nuance in the language between needing and wanting. And so what I've always said is I want, I want my partner to want me not to need me, just like I want to want my partner, not need my partner. And I've gotten a lot of pushback over the years about people saying, basically what you're saying, right? Like, oh, that's not romantic. That's not realistic. Like, why would we be together? Like, isn't there something to needing each other? To which I feel like I've always, even before I was a therapist, I was always pretty hardcore in the stance of like, nah, I don't want to be needed, you know? Um, Now again, Again, going back to kind of our jokes, sure, there is a little bit of like the avoidant therapist kind of thing. I know, I know that I run more avoidant and I'm, I get that that colors kind of the lenses through which I look. But all jokes aside about that, I just don't think it's romantic to be needed. I think it's maternal. Um, I think it's parental, right? Whether it's, you know, man or woman. Um, but I don't find parentified relationships sexy or romantic. Uh, I never have. And to me, the second I start needing someone to survive, that puts them in a parental role and vice versa. And I have always kind of felt that way again, long before I was a therapist. So that's like my gut response to the word need is that it immediately, like it immediately triggers that feeling of parentification in me. And so that would just be my kind of gut reaction. I don't know. Yeah. I think that there's so many layers to that. Certainly, um, the, the parentified aspect of it. There's also, I mean, this is one of those spaces where I almost wish I had this person here to dig a little deeper into the question of why would you want them to need you? Mm -hmm. Um, what does that bring up for you for someone to need you? I think that there's something in that, that I'll, I'll say the challenging thing, which feels a little bit inherently selfish to me in that, if I have set up a, din- a dynamic where this person needs me and then I can't be there for whatever reason, right? Um, I'm unable to be there. I choose not to be there. 
heaven forbid, people die and are not able to be there for one another, what then for this person if the dynamic of our relationship has cultivated a sense of need? Um, I think it's a little bit also what we believe we're meant to be doing in our lives, though. You know, are we meant to sort of be in this codependent space of completing one another and um, I'm okay because this person is here to make me okay? Or am I supposed to be um, really in relationship with this person from the space of witnessing them and supporting them in their growth and all that they came into their lives to be? But if they need me in order to get through life, I don't know that that's really about them, but it feels like that's about me and what it brings up for me to be needed. You know, Totally, totally. So I think there's two things that come up when you're saying that about like needing to be needed, right? Mm-hmm. So I think for a lot of people, this idea of being needed by somebody gives you a sense of um, purpose, mm-hmm. right? If you don't maybe otherwise have a really strong sense of self and sense of purpose in this world, in this universe. So if somebody needs me, and I see this happen a lot with people with their children, right? Like, yep. Yep. So I hate, I mean, listen, this is probably going to ruffle a lot of feathers out there, especially for the moms listening. But if anything happened to my kid, I, I honestly don't know what I would do, right? Like, would I even be able to go on? I don't even know. I mean, let's just put that out there. But the bottom line is, is that my purpose with my child is not to set her up so that she needs me, right? Isn't it Dr. Shafali that talks about like your whole purpose as a parent is to actually become, what's the word? Not invisible, irrelevant. irrelevant. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. It's such a good word because I don't want to set my kid up to need me. That's not helpful to them. That's a hindrance to them. That's a hindrance to them becoming an independent being, right? And I would say the same thing goes for a romantic partner or a friendship or a work relationship, right? I mean, any of this stuff. So I think number one, it brings up like I have a sense of identity by being needed by somebody else, right? Which is a very codependent way of looking at relationships. Um, I also think it gives us this kind of like false sense of safety. So if I need somebody or if they need me, it gives me this false sense of safety. You had mentioned a little while ago before we jumped on, like they won't leave me, right? So as humans, we are not comfortable with the unknown. And yet the paradox, the kind of hilarity of the life that we live is that nothing is known. And so we are constantly in a state of trying to make things feel secure and known and black and white and stable. And this is why we grasp because we don't know. We have no way of knowing, right? And so we create these environments. We create these relationships in our lives to give our psyche some false sense of security, false sense of knowing. And I say false multiple times because that's what it is. It's false, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of what we see out there in these very codependent ways of relating to each other has a lot to do with our inability to sit with the real understanding of what it means to be a human, which is nothing is permanent. Everything is unknown. Um, you know, there's a lot of these bigger existential type questions that you and I, especially as depth psychologists, like we really work with a lot of, of this, the bigger soul questions, right? I would say the behavior of the codependent relationship is a behavior that's manifested from the fear of this existential, like what happens, right? When we die, what happens when it's all of these things that I was just saying. So we got to go back to the root of why is it that I'm clinging? Why is it that I want to make somebody need me? And I would say the root of that so often is this, like, I am not comfortable sitting 
in the unknown or in the like the loss of control or kind of the the gray that is life. Yeah, I think you nailed it with everything that you just said, whether we're talking about our parental relationships, parent-child relationships, or we're talking about our romantic partnerships. You know, Carl Jung said there is no greater burden placed upon children than the unlived lives of their parents. And I would say that can be really true in our partnerships as well. I think there are a lot of times that we will want to do things and we will instinctually know that our attachment might be threatened if we go after certain things that might make our partner feel insecure or mm. um, just ways that we keep ourselves a little bit smaller in an attempt to maintain our connection um, or even the ways that I see things with sometimes people, um, you know, discouraging their partners in really subtle ways from like becoming too big or too expansive or like really becoming the fullest embodiment of themselves because there's sort of this like subconscious fear of if this person stands in their power too much, they could leave me. They could not want to be with me anymore. And it's one of those difficult relational things that we don't talk about a lot. Obviously, I work with couples every day, so I can see the undertones of like, this is what's happening here. But I think that when I really love someone, what that means is I want you to be the fullest, boldest, um, most beautiful expression of all that you have the capability of being in this lifetime. And frankly, if I need you to need me, um, that's going to hold you back to totally. some extent from doing and being some of those things. Do you know what well, I mean? Well, and also to build on what you were saying, because I've had personal experience with this a couple times in relationships, is that if I... To, if the meaning of love is to truly exactly what you just said, like, I want you to be the boldest, fullest expression of you, right? Mm. That may or may not mean that I'm there with you. Yeah. So this goes against also the fear of this relationship could potentially end, right? Like we grow out of people, we evolve, we hopefully, right? And we do not get to say to somebody, um, you have to stay who you are forever and ever because we have to stay together, right? We try. We do this a lot in our relationships. Um, you know, John calls it like the false promise. It's like we are so addicted to the false promise, again, because of our fear around loss of control, our fear around not being needed. What does that mean about us? All these things. And I think that if this is the interdependence piece that you and I always talk about, if I am really looking at you and loving you for the amazing sovereign being that you are, I want you to be the best you that you can possibly be, whether that includes me or not, right? That is me actually truly loving. And I think that's a really hard one for a lot of people to grasp because it it's like the least selfish way to love. And it's not the way that we were taught to love. It's not the way that we were taught loving looks like. We were taught that loving means some kind of promise. We were taught that loving means you get, you have to promise me that forever and ever you will never leave. You will never leave me no matter what. And that means love. And even on the receiving end of that, that feels yucky to me. Like I don't ever want somebody to stay with me just because they've promised to stay with me, not be, or because they need me, not because they truly want to, not because they truly you know, revere me and, and look at me and my, and just all my potential and just love me for who I am in my fullest capacity. I don't, that's not a favor to me, right? Like don't yeah. do me any favors actually. Cause I don't, I don't consider that loving either. I mean, how many times have you been with clients where you've actually said to them, um, it's actually more loving for you to let them go. 
right? Absolutely. When these, when partners get into these like nasty spaces where it's just like digging at each other and, rah, rah, and they hate each other and you're like, this is not loving. Like you're not being a good partner by staying with this person. You're actually hurting this person more than you're helping this person, right? Yeah, I think that's so real. And I think what you're speaking to is, first of all, a more um, individuated version of what it means to love another person. It's a more mature love than yes. we have been raised to to sort of conceptualize or think that love is. And you're absolutely right. I can't tell you how often I will be sitting watching couples attempting to hold on to the attachment, which I can't remember this guy's last name, Julian something, but he was talking about what most people experience is not love. It's attachment. It's attachment. And when mm -hmm. we are, when we're attempting to maintain an, an attachment, what we will do is we will manipulate and we will coerce and we will, you know, play all kinds of games and control to do things to maintain the attachment, most of which has nothing to do with what it means to love another person. And I think the, the way that we are, I believe, being called to evolve as a human species in the way that we meet one another in all of the forms of love, not just our romantic partnerships, but the way we love our neighbors, the ways that we love our children is sort of putting down these codependent templates of ownership and that it is my job to, you know, in in an attempt really to avoid doing some of my own deeper Amen. inner work and self-actualization work, I hold on to this attachment. I grasp onto it at all costs. And really a lot of times treat the person that I say that I love um, in a way that is not loving. You know, mm. I think my ex-husband and I joke all the time that we are so much more loving to one another mm -hmm. in a friendship than we were when we were together. You know, I can really celebrate his wins and um, we can see each other clearly because there's not all of the need to like control and yeah. make you who I believe that you need to be for me. We mm -hmm. can really just be present with one another, but we can make the choice to do that when we're still with someone, but it really requires that we remove the ownership template from our mind. Like this person belongs to me and they are mine to control, which is most of what, you know, a lot of us were raised to believe that love mm -hmm. is. Yeah. And so I'm owed something, right? Like they belong to me. And so I'm owed something, whether that's, um, longevity, whether that's sex, whether that's, uh, I don't care what it is. Like I am owed something. And usually I'm the one that makes up what it is that I feel like I'm owed, right? Whether that's mm. societal programming, whether that comes from my upbringing, right? Um, and I mean, I'm guilty of this too, for sure. I mean, this has been a lot of my work around codependency recovery, you know? Um, I own you. And so you need to make me feel secure. You need to make me feel stable, right? I need you to be consistent because that's what I need because that's what I lacked growing up, right? And I've had to do a lot of work around why is it that I am putting these kind of demands, these, like you say, the ownership template on a partner, right? And I got to go backwards and I got to do a little bit of that childhood work around what was I lacking growing up? What am I attempting to force somebody to give me in my adult relationships, friendships too? And why is that, right? And when I can start to open my eyes to see that and I start to see the different things that I'm placing on the different relationships in my life of like, I'm owed this from you. And I can start to take that back, that responsibility. It opens my friendships and relationships up to just such a deeper, like I see you and you see me or not, or not. And that's the scary thing, right? Is that there is a potential when you start to love this way, that there are relationships that are going to kind of drop out and, and can we be okay with that? Sure. It's going to suck. There's going to be grief. I'm not saying there's not going to be pain around that, but 
a little bit of, no, I'm going to radically shift the way I love is also realizing I'm going to have to walk into some fire to do that. And am I, can I be with myself? Can I, can I know deep in my soul that like, I'll be okay on the other side, right? I'm not going to die. It's going to hurt, but I'm not going to die. And you're also, especially if you're a parent, you are in doing that work, in committing to that work, in love and loving, again, not just romantic, you are showing your children a completely different way of loving as well, right? Like I see the way that you and Mikey show up for your little one and I see how he gets now to see you two. And like, what an amazing way to get to see your parents, to get to see your parents in loving relationship with one another, right? Not that you guys don't fight. It's not that you guys don't bicker, but like your relationship now is so much more loving. Like you just said, that's what he gets to see. It doesn't fucking matter that y'all are married or not. What he gets to see is I have two parents who love me and love each other, period. They respect each other, period. And they act out of that respect for one another, period, right? The ring on the finger, doesn't mean anything. I'm sorry. It doesn't. Um, because if I grow up in a relationship where I see rings on my parents' fingers, but I see them rip each other apart, be nasty to each other, have these underlying control dynamics, that's what I'm going to learn. That's what I'm going to em- emulate when I get older as well. Yeah. I think it's just time. And these are tough conversations to have yeah. because so much of what, gosh, we are just such a discomfort, pain, avoidant, um, averse society, right? So like anything that is uncomfortable, anything is hard. We need to figure out how to avoid that at all costs. And it, you know, staying in the fire, as you just spoke to of some of the challenging things of personal responsibility and the ways that I am attempting to get this other person to be the balm to sort of soothe the challenging Mm -hmm. feelings that I never learned how to self-regulate through when I was little. That's really, it takes a lot of responsibility that I have to put on myself and stop externalizing that power. But I'll tell you, it is the most liberating way to reclaim our power and sort of if I'm responsible for all of it, if I don't get to put anything on anybody else, then all of a sudden it's just like sky's the limit with what I can do and what I can tolerate and what I can move through because I've taught myself how to do it. And to your point, I think especially as parents, when we teach our children how to suffer and tolerate suffering, um, we teach them that they are capable of doing that. And it's not Mm -hmm. that we want to like cultivate suffering unnecessarily unnecessarily for them. But when we teach our children that any pain, any discomfort, any suffering, we got to shut that down. We got to make them that go away. Find something to use, whether that's a person or a thing, right? A substance, find something to make it go away. Well, and exactly. And that's why like so often what, you know, people talk about in addiction communities is some of the highest percentage of addicts in our society are people who had a ton of um, financial abundance and like, you know, socioeconomic means. And it's because they've literally never learned how to feel anything uncomfortable. So even like a really sort of what might seem um, on the surface to be a little bit of like a, not that, not a big a deal. Yeah. Yeah. is like really intolerable on a nervous system level. And I need to shut that down and sort of anesthetize my way through it. And so I think a lot of times we are doing our children way more of a disservice than we believe that we are when we sort of quickly take away anything that is challenging or uncomfortable for them to sit in, you know? Yeah. I realized you might be hearing a little bit of my kid in the background crying. So I apologize <laughs> to all my listeners. She's okay. <laughs> yeah, she's Just okay. Kidding. She's feeling the she's discomfort. Not alone. 
Um, yeah. So I think, I guess to kind of summarize, like if I were to give somebody who were asking this question a little bit of, um, I don't know, a, like a, like a directive or like maybe something to lean into, it would be around what, what is it for you that comes up? when you think about somebody needing you or when you think about somebody not needing you, right? Really turning that around on yourself and starting to sit with the discomfort that comes up around being either, again, romantic partner, friend, it doesn't matter, where somebody doesn't need you. They they love you and they want to be with you, but they don't actually need you for survival, right? They don't actually need you to do anything for them other than just be you. Um, and And just play around with what comes up when you ask yourself those questions. Um, yeah, I guess that's what I wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's important to, to name that if we're talking about sort of codependency as, um, an addictive tendency, then the codependent gets a hit of, you know, feel good chemicals whenever they are needed. Yep. So there's something worthwhile to look at in that the avoidant gets a feel good hit of those chemicals whenever I am desired, I am wanted, right? Chase so me. there's a little bit of a pathological, pathological, pathological. I like that word. Pathological. Like, I don't know what just happened in my mouth. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's something that is worthwhile to look at in the ways that I get off on being needed, frankly, Ooh, tough, Ugh. but but worthwhile to have a look at. You know what I mean? Yeah, I love that. All right, y'all. Keep the questions coming. We will continue to do these hopefully bi-weekly Q&A type, um, I don't know, episodes, I guess, because we just want to keep connecting with you guys. And we want to be able to answer as many of your questions as we can because we get a lot of them. And sometimes social media is not the best place to, to do it. Yeah. Okay. Be well. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Manny's and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash press on and use code press on 25 at checkout for 25% off impress manicure and press on falsies. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.